editor, former online and managing editor, and host of Talk That Talk, award-winning journalist Terrell Chatterbox Emerson. Nothing happens if I don't hit record. Welcome to it. Welcome to it. It is 3 o'clock on a Thursday afternoon. It's a little bit different, but it is your Thursday installment of the Talk That Talk radio show. I am your host, Terrell Chatterbox Emerson, in studio with my guy, Matthew Raftery. Matt, what's going on, man? Not too much. Get uh, Got something somewhat big going on tonight. Maybe a little bit, you know. Yeah, you to, know. to the point to where you just asked me if we had a full show. We absolutely have a full show. We shall see how much of this we get through because there's going to be some things I feel like more than most that we're going to be a little amped for, maybe a little maybe a little pumped for. But nevertheless, we will try to give you guys – actually, we will give you guys. We're not going to try anything. We are going to give you guys your typical Thursday installment of the Talk That Talk radio show. Once again, welcome to uh, this this particular switcheroo this week. As I said before, it's, it's pretty much like it's opposite week. As I said before, it's kind of Matt's idea, but it's worked out well. It's worked out well in terms of what we were doing. Uh, this particular week, speaking of, my week has been so just up in up in the air. I think this is going to be my first aviator homestand that I'm not physically in the building for. I shouldn't say homestand. Series that I'm not physically in the building for. I'll be there for the Reno series. But I was looking at the rest of my schedule for the week, and I was just like, I don't think I can make it. If you guys want to still see me walking around here not looking like a zombie, which kind of happens. But if you guys don't want to see me like that moving forward for the forthcoming months, you mentioned those off days uh, up until uh, April. I-, I hate to say that it may come at the expense of physically being at some of these aviator games, but it appears that that, that may be how this thing shakes out but we're gonna get to that before we do such let's go ahead and inform you guys on all of our social medias first of all if one of our social media platforms is facebook if you guys are watching us via facebook live we appreciate you guys for that if you want to you guys can find it at talk that talk radio show once again you guys can find pretty much that using that at talk that talk radio show you can pretty much find us anywhere you can find us on google podcast you can find us on spotify you can find us on apple instagram you can find us on Facebook. The only thing you cannot find us on using that exact at would be Twitter. Our Twitter is at TalkThatTalkLV. Once again, our Twitter is at TalkThatTalkLV. Other than that, let's hop right into the show. I don't – let me see. Okay, cool. So let's hop right into the show. Got some more tennis news on this Thursday. Um, first of all, this is just this is just honesty hour for me, so I'm, I'm cool with doing it. Before you and Alex, well, you, Tyler, and Alex, if I'm doing the the right formation on the way backwards, uh, before yourself, Tyler, and Alex, people always laugh and be like, oh, man, you you guys cover every sport, you guys cover every sports, and then, or every sport, rather, and then when I'm kind of around, they say, wow, you cover all the sports. No, I don't. (laughs) I absolutely don't. I, I don't. So... Before you three kind of came around, hockey was one of the things that I would probably steer away from. Let's talk about the stuff that we know that we have an expert in the building for, and we can go ahead and move on. Tennis is one of those sports. Golf is one of those sports at times. NASCAR is one of those sports. Uh, I, I mean, the list goes on and on. I say that to say, did you ever anticipate we would be talking about this much tennis in the last month? Not really. 
No. <laughs> Yet and still, it's another retirement, man. Roger Federer has a he. First of all, he used the word retire. So already a, a, a different step than Serena Williams took, I believe. I still don't know if she's ever said the word, but uh, it's still a monumental step for tennis. And when you hear the sentence that Roger Federer retires, what goes through your mind? It's another legend from the game. Um, I remember he was probably the first tennis player I remember watching growing up. Um, I, I mean, he's probably one of the few tennis players that I can name. Um, there's probably three or four men's players I could name and probably two or three women's players that I can name. Like, that just didn't wasn't one to really watch tennis all that much except outside of maybe a few Wimbledon matches and maybe the U.S. Open here and there. Um, but typically when, when I would watch tennis, it would be, you know, Federer against somebody or Nadal against somebody or a combo of a, um, you know, tennis legend versus somebody if they weren't playing each other. Um, but, I mean, his resume speaks for himself. Going to be, if he's not already, he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer in tennis. Um, he's one of the greatest, if not, some may even argue the greatest to ever step on the court on the men's side. I, so <laughs> I have some numbers to throw out at you, as we typically do on this show. And we are at a point <laughs> to where, again, we are in godly territory right now. Some of these athletes that we talk about, we go through some of their accomplishments and we're just like, fam, I'm still going, by the way. So some of these numbers just aren't going to make sense to you, to you, but let's just let's let's run with it. I think I'm gonna go this one first. The number that I'm gonna give you is 24. Roger Federer was a pro for 24 years, so he's retiring after a 24 year career. He captured 20 Grand Slam titles. Roger Federer is 41 years old. Roger Federer has been a pro for more than half of his life. Not to take the shine away from him, but these are the these are the wild stats that we talk about with people like LeBron James. He's been doing what he's been doing at this level for more than half of his life. I'm not sure anybody else can make sense of that. Not to mention he was the number one ranked player in the world by the Association of Tennis Professionals for 310 weeks, including a record 237 consecutive weeks, and he's ended the year number one five times. I don't know, man. You just talked about it a second ago. I'm not sure if we know too much about tennis, but I think we know enough to say that, that Roger Federer is unquestionably first ballot. Yeah. First ballot. These numbers in, as I said before, he's 41 years old. So what happens if Roger Federer, and I don't know that he does already, but what happens if Roger Federer is like a genius on Bitcoin and he starts to run to go around the world and do TED Talks about Bitcoin he could, or crypto? He might be able to get away with doing TED Talks on anything, and he'll find a way to make a lot of money. Like he, There's certain... I have a certain category for athletes when they get up to a certain stature as far as they can literally wake up and they will make money for doing nothing for being 
who they are. Um, when LeBron retires, that will be LeBron James. When he LeBron doesn't have to go into broadcast, doesn't have to be a coach, doesn't have to do anything. He could literally wake up, he can make a yearly appearance at the finals, and he's set. I mean, it, the the running joke is that's what Peyton Manning's now doing is Peyton's just out there doing nationwide commercials and yearly Super Bowl hits, and that's about it. You got and you just set the certain level of people. I'm just gonna throw some names out at you. Snoop Dogg does the same thing. Yeah. Bill Russell, God bless the dead, did the same thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bill Russell got to a point to where it was about a 10-year span where you didn't see Bill unless it was an award ceremony or the NBA Finals. Huh. Just not going to see him. And he's still making money. It's, fam, <laughs> you know who Bill Russell still is. So yeah. I, it wouldn't shock me if Roger Federer gets out of here and writes a book. <laughs> it wouldn't shock me if Roger Federer, as I said before, it. you know what Roger Federer is probably going to do first and foremost? Hmm. Probably gonna go vacation for a year. <laughs> yeah, probably gonna take an entire year off, as we we typically try to do on this show. A happy farewell to Roger Federer, happy retirement. We talk about asking your legends to 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 walk away, and I think we're at two. I think we're at back to back ones where we could say Serena Williams and Roger Federer. I don't think we have to ask you guys to walk away. So congratulations on retirement. And I got to be honest, I'm excited to see what both of them continue to do. For sure. You know what else I'm excited for tonight? Probably, We're probably excited for the same thing. Are you wearing the hat? You are wearing the hat. I am, I, of course I'm wearing the hat. What you mean? Fam, so are we hours away from celebrating the first championship in, in, in Las Vegas, the first professional championship in Las Vegas history? Are we, are we moments away from that right now? Let me put it this way. We said we were celebrating one goat or one – individual rather stepping away from the game or you know have, having a happy farewell right we might be saying a happy farewell to the connecticut sun in a matter matter of hours because i try to tell y'all on tuesday or no monday we played tuesday monday after game one it's a wrap connecticut you said you saw something i thought well for one Connecticut got their game that they wanted Vegas to play. It happened Sunday, and they still lost. Connecticut did. We saw a much faster-paced game on Tuesday, uh, more of Vegas' style, and Connecticut couldn't keep up. And between games one and two, we saw a very dejected Connecticut team, a team that felt that they were discouraged, that they had their opportunity, and they kind of let it go by the wayside. And so all of that brought into the fold. And you have the return of KP, which, welcome back to the playoffs, Kelsey Plum, who, by the way, probably catches a lot of unnecessary flack. I don't know why that is. A little bit. Um, KP will be the first one to tell you, too, that she out here dodging bullets. Um, but nonetheless, KP, um, nonetheless, KP um, playing well, especially in game two. You know Asia's bringing it. You know the point God's bringing it. Um, this feels like this feels like a closeout game where I, you could throw out the stat all you want about, oh, Connecticut's undefeated in closeout situations. I don't think that matters. I think this group, this Vegas group, finally can see, because we talked about it a lot during the season, like, oh, can they get there, right? Can this finally be the team that, you know, gets over that hump for Vegas and kind of brings them that first pro major or major uh, pro sports championship they're at the point now 
where they look up and they go, oh no, we can see it. We are 40 minutes away from it. It's not a series away. It's not two series away. It's not half the season away. No, we play great for one more basketball game. If we play our game, and that's that's Vegas, all Vegas has to do. They don't have to do anything special tonight. They don't have to go outside the box. They don't have to get creative. They don't have to get desperate. They don't have to do any of that. If they come out and they play the typical brand of basketball that we've known and, accust- and become accustomed to seeing them play this year, this this series is a wrap in three. So you you talked a little bit about Connecticut's feeling, right? After in their, I guess you could say their mood after game two or after game one rather, and. You said that they got, and I agree with you, that they got Vegas to play their style of game in game one. They kind of got them to play their style of game in game two as well. I mean, you still look at the overall score. It was a 14-point win for the Aces. It was 85-71 to in terms of the final score. However, this Las Vegas team hovered around 90 points per game during the regular season. So... We, we've already seen this team have offensive explosions and moments, right? We've already seen it this 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 playoff run. I do wonder if you just said it right now. You said they're 40 minutes away from closing out not only this series, but a championship. And the first ever championship, not only for Las Vegas, the French, the, the excuse me, the city, but Las Vegas, the franchise. And, and this could be a monumental day here in las vegas in nevada as a whole what are the chances that this team tightens up i don't think they do i think if anything this is the best case scenario the team could have found themselves in i would have been more concerned if this was one one if it was a one one series i would worry more about the team tightening up because they know it's one of those where you know game three becomes extraordinarily pivotal to where if you lose game three, now you're fa- you're facing elimination. Whereas if you win game three, you're you know up two one. Being up two zero now going on the road. I, I mean, I'll, I'll use a Vegas like term. They're playing with the house money right now. They have their way up. Um, they know. Okay, worst case scenario, we go to game five. Like that is the worst case scenario that could ever happen. Is Connecticut plays back to back games of their life. And we put, go to game five back at, well, not necessarily our place, but a place down the road from our place. That's our place. Kind of. <laughs> sort of. At that point, at that point It'll be of place. the year, it will be their place. Pretty this much. entire city will be their place. Yeah. It just won't uh, physically um, be their place compared to where they normally are. But um, I think Becky has this group focused and locked in. I saw that in game two. Um, I saw that in the second half of game one. Um, you know, the, the clip, you know, kind of went around that <laughs> Becky got lit at halftime and the team responded. Um, you know, I, I, I think now, I think now Vegas know, like I said, they know they are 40 minutes away. They know that they don't have to do anything special. Connecticut has to almost play to Vegas and you got to keep talking. I'm doing some math really quick. Yeah. I think, um, you know, pe- getting people back, not necessarily in the lineup, but in the flow of things, rather, such as like a Kelsey Plum, uh, a Jackie Young. Uh, you know, Asia's been pretty consistent. Chelsea's been consistent the, the last handful of games. Um, Key has, you know, played decent here and there. De- 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 Eric has become a spark the last couple of games. 
if you get contributions from everybody, even if it's a little bit, if you get a little bit here and a little bit there, um, you get a decent spark from Dierica, you get a decent couple buckets from Jackie, you get KP knocking down two or three threes, you get Asia doing her thing and Chelsea doing her thing, this team's going to look up and see at least 80 points on the board for them. And I don't know if Connecticut can keep up with that scoring. So this playoff run for the Aces so far, they're 7-1 mm-hmm. during this during this playoff run. They're beating teams by an average of 13.1 points per game. This team is plus 89 this postseason run. Their, their single loss, that game one loss to, to Seattle, they fell short by three points. So I know it's a different sport, but we talked about the Aviators all season long, even when they were in first place. The run differential just didn't tell the story of a first-place team. This playoff run tells the story of what would look like a WNBA champion. It does. And I think the the notion with this team has always it hasn't it's never been what they can do on the road. We know what they do on the road. It the worry has always been even during the regular season at certain points what's wrong with this team at home? Like what why is the road so much better for this team than than at home? And I think that started to change a little bit over the latter portion of the regular season and into the postseason, I mean, I, I think it's one of those, you look at it, Vegas is undefeated on the road in the in the postseason this year. 2-0? They've gone to a hostile building in Climate Pledge Arena and taken two Ws away from Seattle. Back-to-back ones. Um, and I think, you know, it's it's one of those to where the motivation's already there. And like I said, at the end of the day, you can see the light at the tunnel if you're Vegas. You know that the commissioner's in the building tonight, the trophy's in the building tonight, and you have a chance. I mean, you already played villain plenty of times this year, especially when it comes to Sue Bird and the Seattle Storm. I mean, you were the, you handed Sue her career-ending loss, her regular season-ending loss, her home regular season-ending loss. Um, you could, You have the chance to continue to fit that theme and you know knock out Connecticut win the championship for Vegas and know that this is probably not the first especially with all the uh, pieces that are committed long term for this uh, franchise if I I do think they're winning tonight I don't think this tonight's going to be the first of first one though I'll go ahead and tell a personal story really quick. Uh, I was covering the game on Monday. Yep. Uh, Tuesday. 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 See, I lied. I was covering the game on Tuesday, and ah, I hit my elbow. And I type in a story, and uh, as I'm typing a story, one of the Michelob Ultra Arena's um, camera crew was talking with somebody from the NBA, right? And they were obviously there covering – uh, the WNBA Finals, and the person from the camera crew, they were kind of wrapping up, and they were like, oh, well, nice to meet you, and, you know, probably see you next year with the way that this team looks. I sat there quietly, and I said, eh, I mean, well, um, I mean, it's, there's a good shot. 
<laughs> there's a good shot when you look at the way that this team is constructed. But obviously, the things have to fall right into place. And I think one of the things that have fallen into place for this particular team, you have your star playing. First of all, you have your star player playing star minutes. You have your star players playing at a star caliber. And, of course, I'm talking about the two-time MVP of this league. That is Asia Wilson. In addition to being a two-time league MVP, she's not the first to do that, right? But she is the first player in league history to record five straight double-doubles of 20 points and 10 plus re 20 plus points and 10 plus rebounds. Asia's on Asia's on in, in, in a different mode right now. And I'm not gonna lie, man. I thought about it after this last game, leaving the Michelob Ultra Arena. Uh I don't even know how I would form the question, but I cannot get the image of Asia dropping to her knees following the loss against Phoenix last year. I that image is kind of burned into my head in a in a wild way. And Again, I'm not even sure which question I would ask. If I would even ask a question, I just feel like, especially with so many graphic designers out there, there's so many fun ways to play with this. Just to play with the idea of, as Asia said before, last year's team got extremely ahead of themselves quickly. They didn't expect to lose. Once they did, everything kind of set in. The world kind of crashed. Asia's next game mentality that she has had since May of this season has been something to marvel at. Well, you talk about kind of getting ahead of yourself, almost kind of, it, it, it felt like Chicago was that team that, that did that this year, where, you know, there was so many different stats and people talking about, oh, well, they could be back-to-back -back champs. This is a collision course for them in Vegas to meet in the finals. And... Connecticut knocks them out in the semis. So I think Becky's done a really good job of not letting this team get too far ahead of themselves, kind of keeping them back on track as far as taking it one game at a time, one quarter at a time, one possession at a time for that matter. Even uh, raising a little hell when the confetti came down after game one, similar to what she said at the end of game two, we haven't won anything yet. So yeah. don't understand why I see balloons and confetti and stuff. There's I don't understand it. Right. Yeah, I didn't understand that either, quite frankly. I mean, I, I thought I thought it was a game five or best of five, personally. I, I could have been wrong. Maybe, hey, maybe we won after game one. I don't know. I said the series was over after one, so you did. Maybe maybe that's what they they listened to you. They was like, oh, he said it's over. All right, <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll do this here because they're probably gonna wrap it up in Connecticut, so we're just gonna get a head start. Gotta get some sort of feel here. So you you kind of just alluded to my next point. Uh, this was one of the questions that I had for uh, Asia. And again, as you said before, even if they were to return home, worst case scenario, right, and have to to compete in a do or die game five on Tuesday, September 20th, that would be from the MGM Grand Garden Arena, your favorite place in the world. Uh, I like the MGM a lot, guys, and I will, I will never let you live that down. Even more so why I don't want to see a game five. <laughs> I love the MGM. I don't want to see it for a game five, but... Every boxing match, if you put it in there, I'm honestly, I, I'm I'm down for it. I am. But, anywho, nevertheless, I, I, I wonder how this team feels, and maybe I'll still get this question off, if this team is able to close this series either tonight or Sunday. I want to know if this team, if, if a championship is a championship, right? Mm -hmm. 
I wonder if this one would feel any different. Maybe a little, maybe a little bittersweet that this one couldn't come in Vegas. The clincher couldn't be in Vegas. Unless your back is against the wall, you have to sweat through some things. I'm just wondering if this team is able to close out tonight or Sunday, if it would be a little bittersweet for them. Uh, I think it's all going to be sweet, to be honest. I think it's one of those, um, you know, sometimes the better victories in sports happen to be on the road. Um, Golden State for sure said they wanted to win that first one in Cleveland. Yeah. And so I, I think if anything, I would say, although that, you know, there's the opportunity to sweep tonight, I don't think Vegas has any pressure on them whatsoever tonight. I think they come into this game knowing we know the crowd's against us. We know that they're going to have to play for their lives, essentially, or at least for their season. If we lose, is it really the end of the world? You know? It's kind of one of those things where you know that a loss doesn't necessarily hurt you all that much if you're Vegas. And so knowing having that kind of tucked away way in the back of your mind as a probably a player – I think allows this team to play a little bit, a little bit looser, kind of similar to um, when Vegas grabbed Game Two against Seattle. I think that the mindset changed a little bit, and that it changed to where it's okay. We know we're not facing elimination going to Seattle. We know we at least are gonna see a Game Four, if nothing else. And they saw a Game Four just a little unorthodox the way they got there, but all you know that's kind of just what this team's done and. I think knowing that they can play loose, knowing how they can play pretty much their style and not having a whole lot of pressure put on them compared to what their opponent's facing, um, even more reason I like Vegas tonight. You talk about pressure, and let's just, with all due respect to everybody involved here, the two names that I'm about to mention, I feel like Asia Wilson and his next name that I'm about to say, Chelsea Gray, they embody a two different type of star player. Right. I think I think what happens is Asia with reason with reason rightfully so Asia Wilson is talked about all the time. Asia even said halfway through the season when she came in for a media availability, I love y'all, but I'm tired of seeing y'all. Like y'all always want me. Like, why me? And I understand it. And then let's talk about that other kind of star. People mention Chelsea Gray. You talk to anybody on this team, and the response is a shrug. Fam, that's Chelsea. Nothing she does surprises us at this point. There's blessings and curses to being both of those stars, but I think the ability for both of them to complement each other during this playoff run has also been the more interesting thing. Asia, as I just mentioned before, Asia is that star for this team. That's their that's their MVP, right? I don't think it's a question in the world whenever it's crunch time who this team is going to. One of the most clutch players we have in the league. One if of the- not the... One of the definitely the clutchest person on the aces, and if I was casting a vote right now, Finals MVP, Chelsea Gray. I'm not. I, I can't say I'm mad at it. I, who, what guy am I going to be like? Oh, I'm mad at that. But 
I think you could go either way. Have they ever done a co? I don't think so. Would you be mad at a co? No, but I will also look at it that five straight double doubles in the playoffs is insane. I know that only two of these happen in the finals or as of right now, but if I'm Asia and I get to six and I had a double double every game of this postseason, not that we're fighting over the finals, but I mean, I got something to say about it too. If you're Chelsea, you go, that's great. Y'all don't win game three in Seattle without me. And for, quite frankly, y'all don't win game four either. So we don't even get to the finals if it's not for Chelsea Gray. And there were portions of game one where Chelsea needed a big bucket or needed to put in a big bucket for a, to be a spark for the Aces. Same thing in game two. When Chelsea started knocking down big buckets, the offense started to flow. I mean, when she she hit a, a, a and one, she missed the free throw, but and I, she probably would be pissed that I brought that up. But probably. she she missed the the free throw on the back end of a of a of a made three pointer, and and that moment, we talk about it all the time. We we have these moments. I remember when Chelsea uh, obviously was falling back falling backward on one particular play, and she still got the bounce pass to a cutting Jackie Young, I believe it was Jackie, maybe it was Raquana, um, cutting baseline and. I even asked Jackie after the game, I said, when she makes a play like that, you guys kind of look around and you go, it's impossible that we lose tonight. Like, everything's just flowing. As we've said plenty of times on this show and here in the city, it's been that way since the All-Star break. It has. I think, uh, well, for one, um, I think the All-Star break was probably the most beneficial for Chelsea. I think it was, I mean, to her own admittance, um, a reset time for her where she could take a break from ball. She could take a break from social media. She could take a break from just everything and kind of hit the that reset for her, get in a little bit better shape physically and mentally um, and really kind of gear up for the second half of the year, culminate that with the coming to Jesus moment or meeting, if you will, for this team uh, that – you know, Becky had talked about a few times this year, and I think really you could sense that the flip or the switch got flipped for Chelsea, the Commissioner Cup game. That's when I think a lot of people turned heads and went, oh, that's what Chelsea can do. And it for Chelsea, it carried on into the remainder of the season or regular season and all through these post the playoffs for that matter. Uh, Chelsea's just kind of been that go-to option. And um, I, I mean, personally, I was convinced of it, that Commissioner Cup game against Chicago, because I saw, I, it may have been Asia or Plum, one of the two, that was also, they were also having a pretty good game. And you can make a case that, oh, you know, maybe they could have won Commissioner Cup MVP. I said, I don't know, I wouldn't argue the numbers, the reason I give it to Chelsea in, in that situation is because I looked at every single point of that game where Chicago was starting to make a little bit of a surge and Ve- Vegas could sense the game was kind of tight- tightening up a little bit. Chelsea had a, a run stopper where she hit a bucket to halt the run, get Vegas back on track. And to me, if I'm evaluating MVP, like that's why I'd probably give Chelsea the MVP for the finals is because I feel like she's going to do a lot of that tonight and just kind of solidify that to go along with game one and two where you know that you you can have 30 points in a game, right? We see it all the time in the NBA. You can have 30, but sometimes 
it almost feels like a meaningless dirty depending on how the game's going and when those bucket hit those you know baskets hit i've I've even heard of like the oh that was a quiet 25 or that was a quiet 30 where nobody's really paying attention chelsea's buckets always seem to come at the time that a lot of people are paying attention to the game and so most clutch player in the league most clutch player on the aces i think you you go it's like baseball you got to go to your closer Chelsea Gray's the closer for Vegas. I don't think I could have said it any better myself. But I need one final prediction for tonight's game. Is it a close one? Is it a squeaker? I, I need to know how do the Aces get it done tonight, if they get it done tonight. I I see 81-68. Final score, Vegas. I, I was I was kind of close to you. I'm, I'm eerily close. Uh, I'll go 84-70. What was this one? Oh, see, this one was 85-71. So we're pretty we're right on that 13-14 number as far as average margin of victory for them. I, I, yeah, see, because the the back part, I guess the back side of the question that I was going to ask about the, whether it would be bittersweet for the Aces to close on a road, could they get tight things of that nature? You know that Connecticut is gonna come in fired up. I, I I think I think Connecticut comes in with a big first quarter, but I also think the Aces have a big first quarter. But I think the game begins to go back to the trend we've seen all series long, where now things start to kind of settle in. And I just think after halftime, I, I don't think Connecticut will have any more. Vegas has shown they've been a phenomenal second half team, especially when the game is relatively close at half. Well, we'll see what happens in this one. I do know that that they are at the Mohegan Sun Arena tonight, 6 p.m. ESPN. Are we going out if they win? Shoot. Shoot. We'll talk about it. Yeah. We won't, we won't we talk might. on air. We might. But I, I mean, that's a chip, bro. That's, no, yeah, that's, that's a whole a, ring. And, that's a, and I didn't want to say it. Shout out to the Las Vegas Aviators. I feel like they're catching a lot of strays in this first hour. But shout out to the Las Vegas Aviators. I mean, that okay. is my relax. Well, you know, relax. That is my first professional championship experience. But like that's that's the one that I will forever have until the day that I leave this earth. But uh, that that PCOS title in 2019, that was my first time being in the locker room seeing. The 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 tarps over the lockers. I was like, oh, this is new. Oh, this is different. But as you said before, that was a division title. This one is a world championship. This one is you are champions of the world. I'm going out if the Aces close it up. And a lot of people probably would ask, why are you going out? You're not necessarily on the team. You're right. I covered the team. I'm embedded with this team. I'm celebrating. Trust me when I tell you. If this team is able to close out this series, I'm celebrating. Yeah, I mean, aside from being associated with the team and all that, I mean, this people always ask, you know, when you do, you, you know, is there going to be a memorable sports Vegas sports moment for you, kind of being embedded with the city and you know, growing up here? I say, yeah, when somebody when one of the major sports wins a championship, because it'll be the first, and I mean, every time up until this point, whether it's the Knights, whether it's, you know, the previous finals runs that the Aces put together, it always kind of felt like they were just happy to be there and they didn't really think they could make it that far. 
this one feels like, oh no, we expected to be here and we're just getting started. Duna said if the Aces win, he's taking off of work. I'm with him. I don't I'm blame with, him. I'm I would everybody should. It's a Friday tomorrow. Hell yeah. I think it might be. And then the parade. The, if you thought Asia invited a lot of people to the first playoff man. game, she inviting the whole United States to the parade. I don't know, man. Asia might say, <laughs> like, if you wasn't there when I asked y'all to come, I don't know if I want you at the parade. But <laughs> if if this team is able to close out the series and they're able to get a parade. Some some things have already been been put into the works. Um, the Review Journal actually reported uh, yesterday that, as anticipated, Matt, if a championship parade is going down in Vegas, where is it going to happen? It's going down on the strip. That is going to be. It's going. <laughs> Y'all want my honest opinion? It's going to be the most beautiful, hectic wild place to be i have been on that strip one time for new year's eve and said oh i'll never do this again <laughs> we are go- i now not necessarily trying to hopefully we don't you know hopefully everybody doesn't jump at this opportunity because again you're corny if you do i said it first but i know jiggy has to have something set up for media I don't know where we'll be, but we talk about the, the the media members in this city, and Jiggy's always accommodating, right? This is going to be a new situation for everybody. I have some pretty cool ideas if it is a championship parade. I know that families are going to be involved. I wonder what the coverage of this looks like. Not just national coverage, because we know we're getting the national coverage, but here in the city, the local media, we're going to have the opportunity to get a different spin on things, and I'm just wondering what it's going to look like. Well, they better show up and show out. It's in their backyard. They have no choice. Well, speaking of no choice, we have no choice but to not get to necessarily Raider talk in this, not, not necessarily Raider talk in this, First hour, we're going to start the second hour with that, but we are going to talk football for the remainder of this first hour. What do we got, 20, 20 more minutes in it? So let's wrap up this first hour with some Thursday night football, uh, some, some some breakdowns, more some previews more than anything. I don't know if I said this, if I said this on Monday. This is going to sound like now I'm a stand, and I'm cool with that. Justin Herbert looks really good. And again, every time I mention that, I feel like I have to double down and say, which is why Brandon Staley is going to probably find himself jobless after this year. And this is sounds this sounds crazy to say after a one and team after a team is one and zero after week one, but you did it with the Golden Knights in November when this team was in first place. I just don't see it. I, I, we talked about it before, and I wasn't necessarily planning to talk about our pick'em league, but let's talk about it. I believe all of us picked Kansas City. We're all in Kansas City. I'm a, I'm worried now, by the way, that we're all in Kansas City. It worked. So <laughs> we, we all picked Denver as well. So yeah, <laughs> how did that go? Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's another AFC West team. Maybe maybe this is a trend. Uh, I still have time to get my pick in, so I'll change my pick. But 
uh, I think this is one of these situations, and this is guaranteed going to be the first situation of the year where we're probably going to watch Brandon Staley coach his team out of this game tonight. I think it's yeah, it's one of those where we saw him coach his team out of, ironically enough, a home game against the Chiefs last year on Thursday Night Football, where he had at least three or four different opportunities where his team was well within field goal range and elected not to kick a field goal and quite frankly left 12 points off the board because it's not like he w- it was on the fringe of field goal range where you could go, well, long kick, maybe the kicker is a little iffy on the range. No, these were like no more than about 40 yards. So in SoFi nonetheless where you know weather is not really an issue to worry about. It's not like it's raining sideways or the wind's right in your face or right. anything like that. Um. So I mean, <laughs> oh, I got something else to say about yeah. SoFi. This is so random, but you mentioned SoFi and the wind being in your face and the, the whatever, whatever the hell, fam. I told you about the glass ceiling. Like I like the aesthetic of all of it. Remember when there was a uh, when John Gruden was the head? Right, I'm going back. Remember when John Gruden was the head coach of the Raiders uh, this second time, and he was a little weirded out that the game at SoFi was on a weather delay. He said, we're in a dome. And remember, everybody was like, well, the stadium's open. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, the side of the stadium is still open, and it stays open. That stadium got hot as hell. So you couple the the hot wind coming through in addition to that glass ceiling where the sun is beaming through, not going to lie to you, in comparison to Allegiant, that was hell on earth. I'm not going to lie to you. So I gave a lot of love to SoFi on Monday, and I don't think I talked about that enough. It's hot as hell in that stadium. Extremely hot. <laughs> like, I, And the funny thing is, what did they say, heat rises? I went down to the turf and was like, I don't know, man. I don't know, dog. <laughs> I'm under this dome. I feel like a mouse in a like in a in a in in, in a maze right now. What is happening? But I, I had to 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 get that injected into this story. I don't even remember where you were. I'm not gonna lie to you. I know one thing, a legion don't get hot. At all. No. At all. The Death Star does not get hot. No. It's pretty pretty comfortable year round. Fair. Ain't gotta worry about it. Uh, I mean I, that might be a little homerous, but anyway, I don't care. We uh, deserve it at this point. Yeah. Uh no, I think it's one of those we know what each roster has. We know how talented the Chargers are. We know how talented the Chiefs are. Even without uh, Tyreek Hill, we know how talented the Chiefs are because they kindly reminded us of it on week one. Godly. Um, yeah, they made sure the Cardinals knew it too. So, we're going to get to them too. Patrick Mahomes. Okay. Um, mm, trying to pick my words wisely. I'm not backtracking from what I said. But this is exactly why I said what I said about Patrick Mahomes. If he starts going down the Aaron Rodgers route of making things harder for himself, Pat might not get to another one. The reason why people were so high on Pat to begin with is exactly what what we saw from him in week one. So I said what I said all offseason. And I saw week one and said, now, let's go back to the way I felt maybe six months ago. If he does that, he might be in the Super Bowl for the next 10 years. 
Yeah, but I know that if you put the two rosters together, I probably lean towards the Chiefs. Um, I think overall. At, so let's break it down. So let's do that then. Let, let me let me try to make it easier for you because I do have certain moments or certain areas of these two teams that I do want to break down. Let's talk about the quarterback advantage. Going into tonight, both of these quarterbacks look great in week one. One of them threw five touchdowns. But the other one has a win in the division. So which one, are, which one do you feel like has the advantage going into tonight? Mahomes. I think it's Justin Herbert. Mahomes. Didn't they split the series with them last year? Because they took the first. I think I think L.A. took the first one. Did L.A. go to Kansas City and win? I think they did. I think that was because I was at an aviator game, I think, when that happened. Let me let me look this up. Go ahead and try to make a point really quick. Uh, finish your quarterback advantage because I think it's Justin Herbert. Give me your Patrick Mahomes point. I think it's Patrick Mahomes because Mahomes, you know, I think can make plays on his own. And not to say that Justin Herbert can't, but September twenty sixth, week three at KC, they won thirty to twenty four. They ended up losing when KC came, of course, to to Inglewood, California. They dropped that one thirty four to twenty eight. It was one possession games both ways. Yeah, so I think Mahomes is able to kind of make something out of nothing in a sense, more so than Justin Herbert can. He's a little more elusive. He can get out of the pocket and run a little bit. He can. He, he tends to make pretty smart decisions, Patrick Mahomes. Now, Justin Herbert's getting better, but I think Patrick Mahomes is the more sure thing here. Now, I'm I'm just going to argue the other point now at this point. I feel like, yes, let me go ahead and agree with you in the sense that I believe Patrick Mahomes is probably going to be the one that I'm, I'm more comfortable with. But my original question was which quarterback has the advantage. Patrick Mahomes... Respectfully, while I think the Arizona Cardinals, while I still think highly of the Arizona Cardinals, I do understand that I'm in the minority a little bit more now than last year, right? Last year, especially with the way that they start the season, the acquisition of, of DeAndre Hopkins, that excitement has boiled down a little bit. But is that an oxymoron? Bubble boiled down? Could be. I don't know. That doesn't boiling know. doesn't work. It's simmered down. Anyway, it's simmered down recently, and. For whatever it's worth, I just mentioned what I said about Patrick Mahomes making it harder on himself at times. It looks like he gets bored during football games at times. Justin Herbert has been on this steady ascension toward what everybody believes that he can accomplish, right? Now, coming out of college... No disrespect to Marcus Arroyo, but they looked at his his offensive coordinator and and looked at his production in college and said, well, how is this guy going to translate to the NFL and be better? Like, how is that going to work? And he's showing just that. I start the season after missing the postseason. Last year, I started at home with a win against a division rival. Yes, but against a division rival that a lot of people have put all their stock into cool so i'm facing this this head coach that i don't know what he's gonna throw at me it's my first time seeing him i don't know what he's gonna throw at me first time seeing him in his uniform so that said 
I get that win. I'm headed to the road. First of all, I look damn good in that win. I get to the road. I see Kansas City. I'm headed to Kansas City. Only thing that's going to happen in most cases, you're going to go to recency bias. Last time I was here, what happened? Oh, I won. Most people will say, if you're talking about recency bias, when's the last time I saw you? I lost by less than seven. But the last time I saw you here, I got the job done. I picked Kansas City tonight, mainly because I don't trust Justin Herbert's coach. Right. I don't know that Justin Herbert doesn't have the advantage coming in. Will he outplay Patrick Mahomes? Probably not. But I do think he has a better advantage coming in. Speaking of advantage, which one has the advantage in terms of playmakers? Um, as far as we're not talking about quarterback no more, right? That's a hell of a playmaker, isn't it? No. We're, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about uh, skill positions. Let's talk about other skill positions aside from the quarterback position. I'd probably give it to the Chargers. Matt, I'm going to have to sit here and tell you that I agree with you on paper. Right. Keenan Allen isn't playing this game. I believe he's doubtful. He may actually be be downgraded to out at this point. But. Tuna's going with the Chargers, by the way. Huh? Tuna's going with the Chargers. He's going with the Chargers? He just, he just takes the group? Yeah. <laughs> hey, don't listen to him. Don't listen to my analysis and try to take the. Nah. So. <laughs> <laughs> doing a now nah, we gonna have to find him for that. Uh, no, but in all, <laughs> that's the penalty. There you go. The, we gotta find people. All right, but no, uh, he, he got it in before four o'clock. Oh no, he no, he he's not getting penalized. But I did figure out the penalty. We gotta find people. <laughs> but uh, so I'm not mad at Duna for making that pick because if you look at what the Chargers have in terms of just star power on both sides of the ball, which we're gonna get to the other side in a second, I don't think it's hard to say to look at this roster on paper and say. Hey, this guy over here with the L.A. Chargers has a host of talent around him. Not saying that Patrick Mahomes doesn't, but we're just talking about where it levels off, right? Here's the reason why I'm going to throw a curveball at you, Matt. I'm going to go with the Kansas City Chiefs, mainly because of what you just said. You asked, is the quarterback a playmaker? As long as Patrick Mahomes is on the field, I believe you just need a competent receiver to run a route. I think Pat will do the rest. Yeah, and I think I don't even for Kansas City. I don't even know if they need a receiver for say they have a pretty decent playmaker in Clyde Edwards-Helaire in the backfield that can, you know, catch dump off passes, and we know he can run, you know, pretty well and effectively. They're probably going to minus some people in Week One. Yeah, I, I, you know, when they lost Tyreek to free agency, right? They didn't, or did they trade Tyreek? I'm trying to remember. If it was a trade or if I'll double through. check. I think they ended up shipping them off, but it was because they couldn't come to an agreement. I think it was a trade. Um, any case, when they lost Tyreek, I think that instantly opened up the availability for Clyde in the in the offense. Yeah, that's that's what I I thought. I didn't think Tyreek was a free agent, but um, it opened up more plays for Clyde to get involved in the offense. 
Um, you know, Kansas City knows that, especially tonight, if this game is close, they're probably going to lean on Clyde if it's close in their favor um, at home. And I, I think the the biggest the biggest deciding factor for this game, because I feel like these teams are pretty even on paper. What's going to win them this game is the head coaching matchup. You know where I'm leaning in. If you give me the option of Andy Reid, who I can't remember the last time Andy Reid lost his team the game, going up against Brandon Staley, which I can't remember the last time Brandon Staley did not lose his team the game, it's a pretty clear choice. Like That's what we look at when we look at the Chargers. We go, this team is so talented. They have all the pieces. What is going wrong? I'm going to try to give you an answer for both of those. <clears throat> Pardon. I'm going to try to get an, uh, an answer for both of those. Brandon Staley, you said you can't remember a time that he hasn't. I guess I'm not going to give you an answer for this one because I'm probably going to add to your point. Uh, the last time that we saw the Chargers in a meaningful game that they lost, yeah, Brandon Staley was the reason for that. And when you mentioned Andy Reid, the last time he coached his team out of a game, this is going to sound crazy, and I don't think, but I don't think it's a stretch, though. Do you have to go back to Philly? You may have to go back to his Philly days. And we know for for damn sure Andy Reid doesn't coach his team out of the playoffs. That's hard. Brandon if you got to go all the way back to when I was trying to get it together, I'm with it. And Brandon Staley coached his team out of the playoffs last year. Pretty Needless point in blank. Say. But this last thing that we got to get to in this last hour, we got about five minutes left. I think we're both going to agree on this, and we could probably say it in unison, but if we had to say which one of these teams had the better defense, I think one, two, three, Chargers. we're going L.A. Why are we picking Kansas City again? Because of Brandon Staley. That is the – that if Brand, now, the way we are wrong on this is if Brandon Staley actually remembers how to coach football. I think the only way that we're wrong – that's funny. I think the only way they were wrong on this is if the defense absolutely goes insane. I think they have to sack Patrick Mahomes another five times. I don't know if Kansas City's O-line is going to allow it, though. Because, I mean, we talk about it. I mean, there's one thing to do it against the Raider O-line, which has already kind of been a little iffy. Um, Shout out to Sean Reed. He, he tweeted after uh, Derek Carr was sacked to end the game. Uh, maybe right before press conferences, he said, do you see why we wrote about the offensive line all offseason? Ta-da. Like, because it matters, guys. Like, games are won in the trenches. But I think that this Charger uh, defensive front, they're going to they're gonna cause a lot of problems. They're going to – and not to sound like that, but this Kansas City team, yes, their offensive line has been revamped. I'm not sure that you can fill that many holes with that much firepower coming at you from the other side. At least the entire game. They're going to get the pad at some point in this game. I don't think it's five times, though. If it's three, the game is close. It may not even be three. I think it's three and the game is close, which is why I think Brandon Staley pisses the game away at some point. Probably. <laughs> at least Probably. we agree there. I don't know, man, but – it happens in about an hour, about an hour and a half, as a matter of fact. But we got a couple more days before the home opener here in Vegas at Allegiant Stadium. Matt, to finally address uh, this 
complete assessment, I will give you my final answer on Sunday because I will be in the building for the Allegiant Stadium opener. When the Raiders take on the Arizona Cardinals, there's a million different places I want to start with this one. I'm going to ask a question, but I'm going to answer it. You ready? I was going to ask, why are every why is everybody making it? Where's the game at? Damn it, I want to see it. I want to see it. I want to look at it. I want to look at it. Bet. So, you ready? Why is everybody <laughs> making it seem as if the Arizona Cardinals are not still led by Kyler Murray? The answer to that is because Kansas City just put 44 on them in the first week of the season. Here's the reason why I'm bringing that up. Kyler Murray went 22 for 34, 193 yards, had two touchdowns. He was sacked twice. The only issue that I have about this game is Kyler Murray was also the team's leading rusher on five touches for 29 yards. You get my point here? Arizona, over the last two years, even with their success, We've looked at them, and God bless the man because he's over in, in, in Miami right now. But I said that if Chase Edmonds is your number one, I think he's proven to you that he's probably a third down back, probably a situational back. There's a reason why he's in Miami. James Conner was part of that reason. He touched the ball double the amount of times on the ground that Kyler Murray did, 10 times. And rush for three less yards. Ten carries for 26 yards. I'm not here to sit here and bash. Maybe I'm bashing James Conner for this week one performance because he probably needs it. But if Arizona is able <coughs> pardon, to figure out something successful on the ground, I think this team is still a problem. I do. I genuinely do. How far they go is up to their defense. This 44 don't look good. But I say all of that to say I still think the Arizona Cardinals do have something in Kyler Murray, which is the reason why they went ahead and took care of him this offseason. Took care of him with a little bit of turmoil. Just a little bit. It's always going to be spice. Just a little bit, babe. I don't know. Is it October yet? People say, like, stop paying attention to Kyler Murray when it's October because that's typically when Call of Duty comes out every year. But Oh, my God. I know. Yeah. Sheesh. Um, I was going to throw him a baseball uh, baseball reference in there and be like, oh, maybe he's watching the World Series. I can't even do that. Nope. Um, I do think that um, I, I think it's an 0-2 start for the Cardinals, first and foremost, um, for a lot of different reasons. But one being – like you mentioned, the Arizona defense gave up 44 to a fairly potent Kansas City offense. I would say Vegas has a better offense in Kansas City at the moment. And <laughs> I'm sorry. It just doesn't look like it after. I'm sorry. 44 points beats 19, right? Yeah, I but I mean, if you had questions about Arizona's defense, go look at what the Vegas Raiders about to do to them at home. With Devontae Adams in the secondary, you think it's going to be one of those? Oh yeah, because if you had a if you had a hard pro if you had a hard time stopping 
Juju Smith-Schuster. Schuster. I told you about Juju. McCole Hartman. Clyde Edwards-Alaire out of the backfield. And Travis Kelsey. Vegas is going to raise you Darren Waller, Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro, and really whoever else they want to throw out in the receiving court. Oh, and by the way, they have Josh Jacobs in the backfield as well. So if you're giving up 44 to Kansas City, I think if you're Arizona's defense, you're looking at this going, we got to play another one of these types of offenses? Well, the answer is yes. (laughs) The answer is yes. I I do think that this Raiders secondary is going to be tested. That's what I think. I do not think Arizona will be able to run the ball in this game. We'll get to that in a second as well. I don't think they'll be able to run the ball in this game, but I do think they're going to try to put pressure on the Vegas secondary kind of from the start of the game. That's what I anticipate. That's what I expect. I, I, I This is where you're probably not going to like it. I think they're going to be successful in moments. That's what I think is so interesting. So I know Nate Hobbs is somebody who I spoke to after week one. Uh, we expect, I should say we, right, here in the media, but a lot of us here in the media expect Nate Hobbs to, a similar Nate Hobbs to week one, right? We're going to expect Nate Hobbs to fly around and be everywhere. The only issue is who is going to be that second player to fly around and be everywhere in that Vegas secondary because Nate Hobbs appeared to be that guy in week one. The only thing that I will say comes to pass is exactly kind of what you said. I I think with this being the Vegas opener, I think even with taking some hard shots from Arizona, uh, I can see Arizona scoring 20 points in this game. Um, I think at some point you're going to get Josh McDaniels to do exactly like he did at SoFi Stadium. There's going to come a point where it's probably going to be an entire drive where he looks at Derek, he looks at Devontae, and he says, I'm not talking. You guys go out there and do it. You guys have this connection. This drive is going to be maybe 11 plays, 68 yards, whatever the hell it needs to be. But out of these 11 plays, six or seven of them, it's Derek Carter, Devontae Adams. We've seen it time and time again at SoFi Stadium to the tune of 10 receptions, 141 yards, and a touchdown for Devontae Adams in his debut with the silver and black. But – There's another storyline with this game. And it's a big storyline with this game. Chandler Jones is somebody who, and matter of fact, I want to actually look at the, the, the stats just to pull it up as well. Where are we at? Where are we at? Where are we at? Chandler Jones. Chandler Jones in week one had two tackles, had one for a loss. In there was a quarterback hit. A lot of people were questioning after week one. Simply put, just just asking a question, where's Chandler Jones? Just where's Chandler Jones? Not physically looking for him, but saying he didn't show up this game. It just doesn't appear like he showed up this game. And in my little bit of history, I shouldn't say little bit, right? Over a decade now, that's that's me too to my own horn a little bit. But in over a decade of covering sports, I tell you all the time, Matt, what do we always say about this, this this profession? We've learned it at a very, very young age. These things write themselves. Chandler Jones will have his coming out party this Sunday at Allegiant Stadium against the Arizona Cardinals. We don't got to worry about Max Crosby either. 
Max has been one of the the more consistent pieces on that defense. Um, I think when you force Arizona to go to the air, granted, I do agree with the point that the Vegas secondary can be a little suspect at times. I think they're going to be good enough, though, to eventually figure it out during the game to where they can slow down the Arizona attack. And I think it's one of those where if you give a defense enough time to figure out what they're going to, especially if Vegas knows that they can't really move the ball on the ground because of the defensive front, then if they start becoming a lot more predictable, you can give that secondary more help and I think we know, I've already predicted, like, Vegas's offense is going to be probably as as potent as we all believe them to be. I think week one was more so just an anomaly, if anything. But I do think... My last tip in just shocked me. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't know what just happened, but if this is breaking news, I don't know when. The tip in might come next. Uh, in any case, though, I do think... Um, you always look for, at least I try to, in sports, when you're looking at matchups, what's who has more certainty with them? I believe that that answer is Vegas. It's absolutely coming now because I can't hold it. I can't hold it. I cannot hold it. So I'm going to stop halfway through my dad's tip in, but it's lit. Let's do it. <laughs> Good thing my dad's tip in is kind of about football, but let's run with it. This is shaping up to be a great sports week. The NFL season has begun, and that's a good thing. Even with the Dallas Cowboys being the only NFC East team to lose in week one, and we lost, Dak. I'll live. The Aces look like they're well on their way to a championship. Another good thing. Just read that Terrence Bud Crawford and Earl Spence have agreed to terms on their much-anticipated mega fight. Another good thing. Pause. I had to take a moment, take a couple deep breaths, shoot a shoot a look over at my guy Matt, because I want to flip this table. I want to flip this table, and this is funny because the the <laughs> it's funny because it's it's kind of recirculating now, but a original story broke I believe three or four hours ago, but it appears that it is final that this agreement has taken place. Errol Spence Jr. and Terrence Crawford have agreed to a fight November 19th. Matt, that is my birthday. Ta-da. It's over. I don't I don't know what's happening now. So to tell you guys just my life at this present moment, now I have the decision to – I typically wouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it now. My original plan for this year, especially since it got canceled because of COVID, I was going to do my Hawaii trip this year. My Hawaii trip was going to come this year because UNLV football has a game on my birthday against Hawaii. I have to cover that game anyway. Let's just say I don't go to Hawaii. I am in the building for this Earl Spence, Terrence Crawford fight. That, I don't know. You're insane. For not telling me that before this show started. Because you probably thought I knew. But I'm not going to lie. I didn't know until this moment. 
To finish my dad's tip in, the Dodgers wrapped up another National League West title, a very good thing. Random sidebar for that. How many years has it been since the Dodgers clinched the NL West and jumped into the pool at Chase Field in Arizona? Give me an answer right now. Go. I don't think it's ever happened. No, it has. Damn, I wish you knew that. I wish Cause I now, Because now you don't have the answer. I feel like it wasn't that long ago. Yesterday, the 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 Dodgers clinched against the Diamondbacks, or two days ago, clinched against the Diamondbacks. They referenced that pool moment. That was nine years ago. That doesn't seem like it was that long ago, but it is. My dad said we are a very short time away from what should be a great Thursday night. Or excuse me, and we should be a very short time away from what should be a great Thursday night game between the Chargers and the Chiefs. Another good thing. How can you not love the world of sports? Dad, I think you clearly just just, just pointed it out. Those four or five elements, aside from your Cowboys losing, all have uh, what? All have an element of surprise to it, right? Like we've waited for this Errol Spence, Terrence Crawford fight to happen for so long to the point to where people even ask, is it going to happen? Las Vegas has been waiting for a professional championship for so long to the point where people have asked, is it going to happen? This Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert thing is just going to be good football to watch. I don't even know. But we can get back to football, specifically the Raiders and their home opener against the Arizona Cardinals. You talked about this defense. You talked about Max Crosby flying around. How much of, first of all, one of the things that you said that is the main reason that I agree with you in terms of Arizona uh starting the season 0-2 is because while I do think they'll have some success early, I do think Josh McDaniels is going to settle this team down. And like you said before, probably similar to tonight's game uh, in the WNBA, I expect a strong defensive second half from this from this uh, Las Vegas Raider team. Not to mention the Arizona Cardinals did score 14 of their 21 in the fourth quarter against the Chiefs. So, release the hounds at that point. But I think this team is going to be bolstered. I'm going to be completely honest. Pardon. I'm going to sound like I'm beating a, a dead horse at this point, but I do think from the start of this game, you're going to see a different energy from Chandler Jones, and I think that the team is going to pick up off of it, and I think by halftime, the switch will be hit. And I think it will be all systems go from the third quarter on. I got the Raiders by nine. I got the Raiders, I want to say eight. I really want to say 28 to 20, but the original number that popped in my head was 26 to 17, but I said the Cardinals would get to 20. So I'll give them 28, 29 to 20. I'm not too far off. Okay, talk to me. 31, 20 Raiders. I'm mad at that. You think more than 10, though? What's that? You think more than 10? Because of the second half, I think if the game if the Raiders are within three at halftime, it'll be more than ten. That was my next question: Do the Raiders go into halftime down? If they do, it's down by three. It's either I don't think they're going to be up very big at halftime. If they are, I think it's three one way or the other, either up three or down three at half. And even if they're down three, I think they still win by eleven. I think the Raiders are down at halftime. Even more so. If they're down three at halftime, let's say it's, what, 
trying to think here. Uh, let's say it's 17 to... Might be 17-20, to be honest. Okay. At halftime, I'm with it. And then... And then they go scoreless the second half? They pitch a shutout the second half. and I'm I'm on board. Uh, I'm on board. And the, we already Even know, get a safety out of that? That would, that would get to my nine number, so I'm with it. And we know the offense is well potent enough to put up 30-plus points in a game. This team looks like when they start getting things rolling... We, we, I know we've said this before in the NFL, and then we've been shocked. This team looks like they should sleepwalk their way into 30 points. Almost to where you start penciling in 30 points a game for the Raiders. Like, that's where they start at. It's like, okay, you know you're getting 30. And how much, how many up, more are you going to add on to that? And then they put up 19 in the season opener, so there goes that. Uh, speaking of another team that's a long way, it appears, now from their season opener, and that's the UNLV football team. I'll be honest, Matt, this has been the most excited that I've been for a UNLV football season since my first season covering the team. Agreed. <laughs> Uh, that said, UNLV is going to start the year one and two. Not agreed. Tell me why you don't. Or do you want me to tell you why I think? <laughs> Whichever one. You go first. Um, Again, this team is going to go through growing pains, right? And I think with the explosion that we saw in week one, in week zero rather, uh, that, what was that? 31? 31 point win against Idaho State. I'm not going to say that that was the high of the season. Obviously, so far it has been, but I don't think that's going to be the high of the season. I think even with that, I've mentioned roller coaster with this team. I think you're going to get your ebbs and flows. My favorite thing to talk about when it comes to sports is ebbs and flows. You're going to get that with this team. I think what happens is, similar with every football team, right, every, every football league even, you're probably going to switch your opinion throughout the season. Maybe just tweak it a little bit. After week one, I think a lot of different games on the schedule popped up as, oh, UNLV should win that. UNLV should win that. UNLV should win that. I think a lot of people um, mistakenly penciled in this North Texas win or this North Texas game as a win. And as I said before, this is a rematch of the 2014 Heart of Texas Bowl. Was it Heart of Dallas? Heart of Texas. Heart of Dallas, I think. Heart of Dallas ball. If we're wrong, sorry. Um, th- that that might that might not even be a bowl game anymore. By the way, <laughs> but it took place in 2014. These two teams haven't seen each other since then. Now, not that either of these rosters, you know what I mean, were there for this. I'm just not sure that that holds much weight in this situation. And if we're just looking at these two teams as constructed, I talked about UTEP. Before the season started, and UTEP is one of those teams to where they have their they'll have their ups and downs every season, right? However, you see UNLV against them sometimes. Most recently, we saw UNLV against them not too long ago, and those are what we have come to believe here at UNLV as they probably shouldn't be, but those are measuring stick games for this football team until we figure out what the ultimate ceiling is. Those are the measuring stick games. Well, if it's a measuring stick game, let's see how North Texas did against UTEP earlier this year. 31-13. They didn't do good against SMU. They dropped that one 48-10 before getting back on a, on a winning end of things with a 59-27 victory over Texas Southern. <clears throat> Excuse me. 48 points and then 27 points 
may seem like this team is going to allow a lot of points on the other end. Every team that they just played comes from Texas. Respectfully to UNLV football, Texas is a different breed of football. I think that this is going to be a smash mouth type of game. And even with the offensive explosions that we've seen from from both sides this season, I don't even know what the over-under is, but I want to go under in this one. I think this game is going to be a really drag out. It's going to be a backroom brawl. And I think if that game is like that, I don't think it favors UNLV, not even a little bit. You ain't going to like what I have as a season prediction now for UNLV. Oh, God. You ain't going to like it at all. <laughs> Eight games in a bowl win. I have no idea. Seven wins. Seven and five, and they get to the bowl game. Maybe. Maybe. If they drop that game to Air Force, which I said that they probably would steal, then I got them at six wins. If they get that Air Force win, I got them at seven. They get New Mexico, they get San Jose State, they get uh, Hawaii, they get UNR. I think San Diego State is a possibility for them, but I think the the, the the shocker would be the Air Force game. So I got them winning six. I don't even think they'll need the Air Force game to get to seven. Please tell me where you see these wins coming from. North Texas. So North Texas and then what the rest of the way? San Jose. Okay. New Mexico. Okay. Utah State. Okay. You saw Utah State this year? I just said okay. New Mexico? Or not New Mexico. I already said New Mexico. Uh, Nevada? Okay. Hawaii. Utah State struggled with everybody this year. So you think UNLV is going to get four straight wins? Yes. They, they, will, they will open the year four and one. Okay, now let's address this. If UNLV does open, let's say best case scenario for you. If UNLV does open the season four and one, that means they will end the season two and five. If they end the year two and five, you have them going to a bowl game. That doesn't sound like good momentum going into a bowl game. Even and on top of that, even if those last two wins, especially based on your your uh schedule prediction for this, you have them starting the season four and one and then losing five straight. Cause they would end the year with back to back wins against Hawaii and UNR. Yeah, but I also have them winning against San Jose. That's so, ending the four-game lose uh, winning streak, and then you're going to lose against – I'm sorry, so I said five straight, four straight. They're going to lose against Air Force, lose against Notre Dame, lose against San, San Diego State, lose against Fresno State. So that would be four and one, then you lose four straight games. Yeah. Well, I think the San Diego State game could go either way. That if, Of those four, if you were going to find a game to snap that four-game streak, I think San Diego State could be the game that – they quote unquote steal because San Diego State has kind of looked suspect this year. I've already told you Utah State has not really they been, haven't looked good at all. Really. They haven't been, been impressive. Um, I mean, I think they kept UConn in the game for a while. They've lost to some teams that just don't make sense. No, they would have lost that Utah game if that quarterback, that starting quarterback, didn't get hurt. Yeah, they would have lost that UConn game. Yeah, and so the only down, the only tough part about that game is that it is on the road in Logan, but. I think if this team goes four and one, I'm not sure what their ceiling looks like because if you come out of the gates four and one, 
even some of those games that we write them off, outside of maybe the Notre Dame game, that's about the only one I don't think they have a fighting chance in. I'm with Fresno State. Those are the two. I think. F- and, and, and on top of that, Fresno State is higher in terms of my, yeah, you guys aren't getting that than Notre Dame is. Yeah, I mean, I think. I don't think they can beat Fresno, but they can keep things relatively interesting against Fresno. They typically do. Like, even when Fresno was on the rise, I think it was, it may have been as recent as last year, UNLV gave Fresno all they could handle. I'm pretty sure that game was only a, a touchdown, less than a touchdown uh, deciding game. I'm trying to give other. you a couple of them in, in recent memory. You said Fresno State. Fresno particularly. I think they, I thought. 38 they, to 30 uh, last season, and that was at Fresno State. Yeah. They almost won that game. They were in position to. Hey, man. Um, on the road, nonetheless. In addition to that, they dropped uh, the 2020 matchup where they went, obviously, winless. They dropped that one 40-27. to 27. I'll try to go back to maybe 2018 is probably where I'll stop. Um, which year is this? 2019. 2019, they dropped that one 56-27. to 27. There's a reason why I'm going all the way back because there's a shout-out to be had in here. Trust me, guys. Where are we at for Fresno State? Yep, so it was a 48-3 to loss in 2018. And I believe here is the shout-out moment that I have been waiting for this entire time. Last win, 2017, it was a 26-16 win. Who was UNLV's quarterback that game? Go. Oh, Amarni Rodgers? Johnny Stanton got the win for UNLV. Ooh, that is a while back. Johnny Stanton Jeez. got the win for UNLV. He is now a converted fullback. Yeah. Fast forward to actually, or pause rather. Since you brought this up, where's Armani Rogers right now? Yeah, I don't think he's in the league. Armani Rogers made the active 53 man roster as a tight end for the Washington Commanders. Really? I did not see him playing tight end. I thought he may play. Maybe running back. He's a little bit big for a running back, but he has the speed to make up for it. So is this the part where I let everybody know that years ago I was yelling from the rooftop, if Armani Rodgers, if you don't trust his arm, but you need his legs, I wondered the entire time Tony Sanchez was here, has anybody thrown a pair of gloves at him? Just see if he can catch a football. Because if he can, now we can do something different. That's a good point. And now we're looking at Armani Rodgers donning an NFL jersey as a tight end. Ta-da. Hey, somebody, I think I'm really good at this thing sometimes. Somebody figured it out. Somebody should call you, by the way. I think I'm really good at this thing sometimes. I do. Bring, I do. Maybe ready to bring you in as a consultant. Mark, I'm here. Just yeah. talk. Hey, talk to me. We, Put me inside we, of the house. We, we we can figure out, you know, numbers and figures and all that. We, oh, we, we I'm positive we can figure out we, numbers we, and we, figures. We can get that to real quick. Uh, Trust me. But no, I think I looked at this, and this may be one of the few times, if not the first time, that I've looked at the schedule and at the roster and, go, and went, yeah, I don't think seven wins is necessarily out of the question. I think that's probably well within reach for them. Um, the biggest thing that this team has that it has lacked the past few years is they have an established leader on offense. It feels like Marcus Royal has finally settled down on a guy that he can go with long-term in Doug Brumfield. If 350 passing yards in week zero doesn't tell you. I hope. And that offense was... 
up 45-7 on Idaho State. I know the final score was, what, 52-14, something like that? 52-21. At one point, it was 45-7, or 42-7, I think. Maybe it was 40, or no, it was 45-7. If, whatever it was. Because Cameron Friel came in and got one touchdown drive. We know what Harrison Bailey did. So 45, yeah. they. What did Harrison Bailey do? Exactly. That's why I skipped it right over, because there was nothing to talk about with Harrison Bailey. Never mind. 45-7, and moving the ball at will on Idaho State. And so I think even in the second half against Cal, that offense looked better. They looked more refined. It looked like it was hitting its stride a little bit. Um, if they had a little bit of a better first half, UNLV probably beats Cal. And I think having the confidence from the Cal game, having the confidence from that opener against Idaho State, and seeing that nor- while North Texas is 2-1, and one, I mean, put as much substance as you want on the two wins, their one loss is a huge loss, though. It is against SMU, kind of one of those first true measuring stick games for North Texas. I mean, you beat up on the smaller schools such as the Texas Southerns and the UTEP. UTEP, but then you get to a big dog in the state of Texas in SMU, and you kind of almost, in a sense, get exposed. I think the of the two teams, UNLV has more confidence going into this game, and they feel like th- they feel better about themselves as a whole knowing that they can come in they can get the job done they can win this game um they're probably going to have a quite a bit of fan support it's a fairly early game on saturday it's a noon kickoff so it's fairly reasonable for a lot of people to make you know bring the kids out and all that the family all you know very it's nothing like a, a eight o'clock on a thursday night or anything crazy time like they that. do that every year on my birthday they try, i just want to i just want to pull that like i think they kick, that out didn't they kick off at like 8 30 one night last last year you want to know how i spent my birthday last year oh, would you, you like t- to know you, you told me you would said, you like to know you told me you were splitting time between t-mobile start- and allegiant <laughs> because of how the scheduling worked out for unlv basketball and football hell <laughs> this is what it was it was hell I had to do the first quarter from Allegiant Stadium mm-hmm. and then drive over to the T-Mobile, which, how far in terms of miles? Maybe a mile. Fam, I drive over to T-Mobile. I get in for a 9 p.m. tip of Michigan versus UNLV basketball. Cool. So now, by the time I check in at, at, at T-Mobile, my iPad is set up. I'm watching a UNLV game. I have to do both of these stories. I'm watching a UNLV game. I'm Both UNLV games, for that matter. I'm in the press conference for the basketball game, still watching the football game. So I finished that story or that game, typing up that story, get through with that to get back to Allegiant Stadium just in time for press conferences. And Terrence Crawford and Earl Spence want to fight on my birthday. <laughs> I will not be doing that this year. Trust me. I will not be working that much this year. You guys are crazy. Anyway. Uh, I said I said you guys are crazy, and I made my schedule. Um, speaking of schedules, let's talk about the Aviator schedule. Their schedule is winding down the month of September. It only has what am I looking at? I'm looking at mm, oh well, including tonight. You still games? have another game, yeah. So you have ten more home games, but you have thirteen total on the season as of right now. The Aviators are in the middle of well, the 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 front part. The front part of this six-game home series against the Tacoma Rainiers, they are in the midst of three straight one-run losses. Now, we've had this conversation before, right? 
And while try not to sound like a loser when I say this. We talk about it all the time with me and, my, me and my dad, right? With postseason. Would you rather barely make or would you rather make the postseason and get smashed? Or would you rather not make the postseason? My dad, in my opinion, always gave me the loser mentality. I'd rather not go. You're insane. You're gonna have to put me out every single year. That's just the way that I am. You beat me. I just is what it is. I, I know I'm gonna beat you. I don't care. Do it. Once the season's over. These one-round losses hurt a lot more. In the month of September, Las Vegas is 6-6. How many of those do you think are one-round losses? Four of them. All six of them, Matt. That's not good. I thought four was pretty high. They lost back-to-back games against Reno 8-7 and 13-12. They lost both games against the Sacramento Rivercats this last series, 6-7 and 6-7. The first two two games of this Tacoma series, they dropped both games 8-7. This will make me want to flip the table as well. If I'm Fran Reardon... It's another thing if we've already if we held on to first place for almost two months, and now we're winding down the season and we're pretty pretty sure we're not going to the postseason. The one run losses are gonna piss me off. I just don't know that all of those 14-6 games early in the year, while they're brutal at the ballpark, I'm not sure that they matter as much as these one-run losses because it's like, damn, we still can't get it together. Again, I'm trying not to sound like a loser, but at least you know if you're losing 14-6, to six, ah, we just don't have it this year. Or we, we lost our talent or whatever the case may be. You're still losing these one-run games. Fam, I don't know what we can't figure out. On the bright side of things, <laughs> bright side. If you haven't been out to the Las Vegas ballpark, now's the perfect time to go check out the ballpark. Weather's getting nice. It's a great it's a it's voted the number one ballpark in all of the minor leagues. So if y'all haven't been out, probably plan a a trip out to the ballpark. Um may not want to pay too close attention to what's going on on the field, <laughs> but I promise you the concessions are popping. They That's got a great fact. team store. It, it's a, a great time. Don't forget the pool in center field. Yeah. Um and you know what's funny? And speaking about the Dodger thing earlier, I remember and being in LA watching the Dodgers celebrate that way, and the Arizona Diamondbacks getting mad. And I remember saying, "Keep them from clinching at, at your building." Yeah. I wouldn't know what to do if an opposing team charged toward the center field pool at Las Vegas Ballpark. I wouldn't know what to do. I wouldn't. I wouldn't know what to do. That's like watching a robbery take place. <laughs> you just watch it, like just stone face, like that. You guys aren't gonna do that. They're doing that. And then two hours later, you're sitting there like, damn, they really did that. Uh, so in, in hindsight, I realized that Arizona kind of had a point. Um, but it, Matt's right. The best time to catch a, a game at this ballpark is going to sound crazy to say, but it is Vegas. 
the best time to catch a game at this ballpark is the first month of the season or the last month of the season. It's either in April or it's in September. That's the best time to come out to this ballpark. Not to mention, you guys, as Matt just said, you guys only have 10 more opportunities to catch your Las Vegas Aviators at the Las Vegas ballpark. They have three more, actually four more, including tonight, against Tacoma before they end their homestand, their final homestand of the year. By welcoming in that team in first place, they're welcoming welcoming in Reno. And while they may not be able to make up any room, I think if the Aviators lose tonight, it's over. Um, they may not actually. I think it's not just that if the Aviators lose tonight or the uh, Aces win, I think it's over. So, haha, <laughs> pun intended. Um, but in all seriousness, this this has been a season of. Want to give me a word? Disappointment. That wasn't the word I wanted. <laughs> oh, man. Um, Damn. I don't think I have a different word, though. It's been a different... It's, it's been a disappointing season if you are a, a typical fan of the Aviators since they've moved to Summerlin and moved to... And be, kind of went under a full, a full name change from the Las Vegas 51s to the Las Vegas Aviators. This has been... Uh, a wild go of things considering as you said before that this team or as i mentioned before this team led the division for 47 days in the thick of things in the middle of the month all-star break happened a source close to the team told me the team lost their heart and they didn't say that verbatim but they said that vimeo machine was the heart for this team and they said look at the record since he's been called up Needless to say, the Aviators, not only do they have a losing record since Vimeo Machine has been called up, it's an ugly record. So just to kind of give you guys an idea of what's been kind of happening on the back end of that, as of right now, they are 67 and 70 on the year. They are still second in the PCO West. Matt, I don't know if you care. I don't know if it matters, but they are nine games behind. Yeah, it don't matter. Yeah, I felt like it was important to tell you. Uh do you care at all that they're um this this series against Sacramento has made this run differential look a little bit better as a second place team? Yeah, it don't matter. Okay, well, whatever. I'll try it. In case you guys are unable to catch your aviators in this next week plus, next season schedule is already out. Their 150 game schedule for 2013 was released on Monday. That will be the 40th anniversary for AAA baseball in Las Vegas, and it will be the fourth year for the Aviators, the fourth official year for the Aviators. The season starts March 31st on the road against those Reno Aces. So this season, if you don't get to close against them the right way, you are getting your chance to open a year against them the right way next year. The home opener will be April 4th against the Oklahoma City Dodgers. So... Getting a little getting getting a, getting a little interesting to start the year, but I think similar to what we try to do in these shorter condensed sports like football, right? We're gonna get a chance to do it in baseball next year during a lengthy season. I think we're gonna know what the Aviators look like right away next year. We do understand that that team in April is not gonna look like that team in September, but nevertheless, be sure to be there for all of it. Tonight's game, seven oh five, Las Vegas ballpark. I don't think I've said it on on air, and if I did, I'm sorry for for uh, repeating it. But as I said before, actually, I think I did say it on air. This is the first full series that I think, and I keep saying I think because tomorrow I don't know if I have 
anything like slated out to do, but that would probably be my only game that I go to. We got UNLV football Friday or Saturday. Then we got the Raiders on Sunday. I'll see if I'm at the ballpark tomorrow. But if not, you guys can catch me there for all six games against the Reno Aces. Why? Because I hate Reno. Um, I don't think I need another reason other than that, honestly. No. Let's finish up this this night. Uh, is it nighttime yet? Not yet, huh? 4.30? Finish up this evening, early evening show with some Oakland athletic talk. Uh, some, some different type of talk, but we'll, we'll, we'll do it. We're to the point to where I have run out of – Ways to tell you guys that the athletics are building. Ta-da. I just don't I don't know what to tell you guys anymore. It's, it's I'm, it, They're struggling. I'm struggling getting through the moments where I have to talk about it. So this team, I, I talked about what their what their record in September was, and I'm still going to count this record out one more time just for you guys to hear it. I'm counting wins first. One, two, three. I'm done. Counting losses now. Up to three already. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So the <laughs> the Athletics are three and nine in September, and this comes on the heels of splitting a two game series against the Texas Rangers in Texas. You want to know the funny part? Both were run run games, if you care at all. They they lost the opener eight to seven. They won the sec the the the, uh, uh, the series finale eight to seven. So just to kind of give you guys an idea on this, but have bigger and better news bigger and better news in a real way because i've been waiting for this to be official and it became official last night because colin wiles made his major league debut and that story that i'm i'm kind of excited now to have dropped tonight it's called Man of Quality. Um, we know about Colin Wilde's numbers here at the minor league level, and sometimes stories take a turn that you don't expect. And he talked about his faith, and he talked about how he gets over a bad game. And he opened up at one point, and he became very, very vulnerable, and he said, and if it doesn't drop tonight, it'll probably drop tomorrow now that I think about it. Uh, he said that he does have moments, where he wondered if he would ever get a shot in the big leagues. In saying that, he also mentioned, while trying not to get too ahead of himself, if that day ever comes, it would be kind of cool to pitch against the Texas Rangers. As a man of faith, I can't wait to talk to Colin Wiles again because all those prayers, all those wonderings, all those questions – paid off it paid off in a form of not only him going up to the major leagues and getting his major league debut but he did so at the ballpark in arlington unfortunately that's where the good news stops for colin he did pitch a, a, a inning in and out so he produced four outs but he was kind of taxed a little bit he did give up two runs on three hits one of which was a home run he did record his first two major league strikeouts so First appearance in the big leagues was out of, was out of the bullpen, but he got those prayers answered. So it's pretty dope to see. Uh, as I tell you guys all the time, we I, I'd lie and be like, "Oh yeah, we don't get close to these athletes when we do these certain stories on them." It's a lie. <laughs> we do at times. So 
this is, as I told you guys before, this is one of the humans. I tell you guys all the time, I try not to root for the player, but these are one of the humans in life that I root for after having my conversation with him. Colin Wiles is definitely one of the good guys in baseball that I think everybody should know. This Texas trip continues for Oakland. They got four more against the Houston Astros. I got some more numbers for you really quick. They are 6-9 and nine against the Astros this year. They are 6-6 six and six in their last 12. I'm going out on a limb here, guys, but I think Oakland's going to split this series. As of right now, Houston leads the division 93-50 and 50 on the year. They're 12 and a half games up on the closest team, which would be the Seattle Mariners. By the way, they're 12 and a half up on the Mariners. Do you want to know how far Texas is behind the Mariners? Huh. Got to make sure I get this number right. Yeah. They're nine and a half games. Excuse me, 19 and a half games. Yeah. Welcome to the AOS, guys. So, uh, <laughs> I'm going wait, no. Just for, for, <laughs> for just to add, for additive purposes, I want to give you the win-loss record of everybody in the AOS. At the top, you got Houston at 93 and 50. Seattle's 80 and 62. Texas is 62 and 81. The Angels are 61 and 82. And then you have your Oakland Athletics. That sounds horrible if you're an Oakland Athletic fan. But you, then you have your team at 52 and 91 on the year. They are, of course, last in the AOS. Just because we talked about it a little bit already. Pittsburgh is 55 and 88 on the year. Washington is 49 and 94 on the year. So Oakland's wedged right in between there. I don't know if it's too late to take the bet, but I'm absolutely ready to take that bet. I don't think they'll end with the worst record. Oh, I think they will. So that means the bet's still on the table. I think we're going to have to figure this out. Matt, my, my, my dad gave me his tip in now um, or earlier. So I think that's enough to get out of here. Do you have anything else? Start busting up the brooms, people. You're going to need them tonight. Until next time, guys. Keep on talking.